35 years old. He's a Russian multimillionaire, and he's investing his millions because he wants to live forever. His plan is basically that uh, he's going to achieve his immortality by uploading his personality into a robot. Did you see this Horizon documentary? It's called the 2045 Initiative, and he's bringing neuroscientists and robot builders together uh, to try and upload his mind to a computer inside a robot. He said this, Imagine we will be young and beautiful forever, traveling into the cosmos in these robotic bodies. Does that excite you? He also added this, If there is no immortality technology, I'll be dead in the next 35 years. Now, I can tell you two things about Mr. Itzkoff. Number one, he's honest about the challenge that we all face, the reality that we will die. Secondly, he does not believe in the resurrection of the dead. For him, death is the terminal point. And there's nothing beyond death. And so what he believes determines how he lives and how he's going to spend his millions. He's investing fortunes to uh, have this hope that he'd be able to upload something of himself into a robot that's going to go and travel into the stars. You see, what we believe about the resurrection of the dead in the future will shape how we live in the present. The two things are fundamentally linked. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then our lives will be shaped a certain sort of way and it will be different to those who have confidence that there is a resurrection of the dead. Well, what do you think? What do you think? Do you believe that there will be a resurrection of the dead? That a day is coming when uh, all who have died will be reconnected with their bodies and stand before their creator God. Do you believe that beyond death we will all face God either in grace or in judgment? That from that day for all eternity we will either live in the enjoyment of an embodied life in fellowship with God and all his saved people in in what the Bible describes as the new heavens and the new earth, that will either be our future or all eternity we will be separated from God and all that is good in hell. This is what the Bible means by the resurrection of the dead. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that there is nothing after death. Your muscles will stop twitching, your neurons will stop firing, and then your body rots. And that's it. But what do you think? Have you thought about this? Does the idea of the resurrection of the dead sound to you a bit esoteric, a bit uh, insignificant? Well, I want to say to you today that it really is not. And that's why I want to show you from the Bible that what you think about the resurrection changes everything about how you live your life now. 
Do you want to see that? Well, come on, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you'll find this on page 1,155 in the church Bibles. Please, it'll really be worth your while, if you haven't got a Bible in front of you, to try and find one, pick it up, open up to page 1,155. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth around AD 54. Um, in it, he is reminding them how the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Uh, for example, look at uh, verse 3, the little number there on the right-hand side of the column, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He, he, he says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the number one thing that I passed on to you. First importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And why is He stressing this? Well, the reason for this is because that there were some people in the church teaching that there was no resurrection from the dead. Have a look at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, believe it or not, I started an Easter series back in 2012 where we began preaching through 1 Corinthians 15. So, uh, well done if you've been at all of them. Uh, today we're at verse 29. Exciting. When are we going to finish? What century? Right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 29. And, and what we're going to see here is that Paul uses some practical examples because he wants to show them how not believing in the future resurrection changes how you behave in the present. So let me read from chapter 15 over the page. Verse 29, page 1156. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that. Brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is God's word. Well, keep your Bibles open. In these verses, Paul raises some practical consequences to this idea if the dead are not raised. And he illustrates from the actions of some in Corinth in verse 29, and then from his own actions in verses 30 to 32, 
And then he gives them a call to action in verses 33 and 34. That's how the text divides up. You see, if the dead are not raised, then what some of them were doing and what Paul, the apostle, was doing made no sense at all. So let's briefly think about what some were doing in Corinth. Look at verse 29. It is a very enigmatic verse. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? What was happening back in Corinth? To be honest, I don't think we really know. I, I, I think this is the only place in the Bible where this is mentioned. One Bible commentary said that there are 40 different interpretations of what this could mean. So when you read that there's 40 different interpretations, what do you know? You can't be dogmatic. We really are not sure what's going on. My best guess is something I read from one beloved former pastor of our church, Derek Prime, in a book that he wrote. So thank you, Derek. His best guess, I think, is a good guess. That some were being baptized as proxies for those who'd become Christian believers, but who had died before they were baptized. Now, it's, it sounds a strange practice. It's not mentioned again in the Bible. It's not something that we read about in early church history as something being done by Orthodox Christians. It is not something that's done by Christian churches today because it seems to go against the sort of teaching of the Bible that baptism is a personal response to the gospel. Uh, Sean is going to get baptized in a moment. And, and it's an expression of his personal response to the gospel. So it doesn't quite make sense of being baptized for other people. But what Paul is saying here, he's simply pointing out what some were practicing in Corinth without really suggesting it was a good idea. His point being this, it was totally illogical to engage in this practice if the dead are not raised at all. Now we don't do such things as baptizing for the dead. Uh, there are lots of things, however, that we say and do at funerals that are equally illogical and foolish if the dead are not raised. When people are speaking at funerals, start addressing the dead person as if they were alive. It's a very strange thing. When people say things like, he is in a better place, or she is so proud of you, or he will always love you, relating to the deceased. Or may he rest in peace. To be honest, humanist funerals offer no hope at all. They make very little sense. All of it is meaningless if the dead are not raised at all. Secondly, and more significantly, I think, in the text today, if the dead are not raised then the life of the Apostle Paul made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Look at verse 30. And as for us, he says, uh, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Now, Paul's life story, if you've never read of it, is, is dramatic. It's remarkable. He went from being someone who was a religious terrorist, uh, persecuting Christians, 
to becoming a convinced Christian preacher who then was on the receiving end of persecution from other people. You can read through the book of Acts and you get a flavor of it. You'll see how many times he faced death threats, how many times people really did attempt to kill him, Uh, the physical injuries he had, the times he was beaten, the times he was whipped. He had stones uh, pelting his body to the point where his attackers thought they'd killed him. He faced shipwrecks as well as angry mobs. In the letter of the second Corinthians, he, he writes of how he was flogged uh, on his back with 39 lashes, not once, not twice, not th- five times. He was beaten three times with rods. He was shipwrecked three times. Why did he put up with that? Why did he endanger himself over and over again? Why do you think? Because he believed in the message that he preached. This gospel message was of first importance. It was the the most important thing, the number one thing that drove his life. And what was it? It was the message of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins. That he was buried and that he was raised and that those who trust this good news will experience eternal salvation. This gospel message about Jesus transforms people's lives. There's real hope of forgiveness in a world of guilt and shame. There's real hope for a dying world because Jesus was raised from the dead. We can be forgiven and know a genuine friendship with God from the moment that we turn from our sin to trust Jesus. And and it's a friendship that not even death interrupts. In fact, death moves us into a realm of an experience of God that is far greater and glorious. And Paul knew that was true. Uh, he'd experienced meeting Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road in, his, uh, in the glorious state of his resurrection. He'd experienced that saving and transforming grace in his life. And that's why he had no doubt and why he was willing to put his life on the line because he really wanted other people to experience the same saving and transforming grace. He knew it had changed him. And so he really wanted others to know. He wanted to let them find out. All that suffering, all that opposition, the experience of endangering his life every day, every hour, he says, it, made, it would make absolutely no sense at all if the dead are not raised. Verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Now, we don't read of him being thrown to wild animals in the Bible. Um, So, was this an event that actually happened where he survived like Daniel in the lion's den? Or was this a kind of a metaphor for the intense opposition that led to rioting mobs that we do read about? Well, either way, if there was no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. And so, the central point of his preaching was completely useless and pointless. And if that was the case, there was no uh, point for heroics, no point of putting your life on the line for the sake of others. Instead, what, what should you do? Well, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat 
and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the option that's left? It's hedonistic despair. I mean, there's the despair, isn't it? Tomorrow we die. Death relentlessly overtakes every life. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're educated or not, whether you've been acclaimed and applauded in life or you've lived an obscure life, it doesn't matter. Death overtakes every life and it eats up all our achievements, all our gains, all our goods, all our loved ones, and it renders our life meaningless. Bertrand Russell, the atheistic philosopher of the last century, bravely admits that his beliefs made life essentially purposeless in his book, A Free Man's Worship. Let me put the quote up there so you can see it. This is what he said, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of the universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Wow. The scaffolding of unyielding despair. There is, of course, nothing firm or safe about living with such unyielding despair. Just read about the life of Bertrand Russell and you'll see what a mess he made of it and uh, what an immoral and unpleasant life he lived. Very educated, but completely enslaved to his lust, just chasing every bit of skirt. Ray Monk, who wrote two volumes on Russell, says this of him in summary, he was emotionally maimed and simply not capable of loving another human being. Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the only thing that makes sense is to abandon ourselves to hedonistic pleasure. Don't endanger your life. Just look for entertainment. Don't imperil your life. Just pursue pleasure. Live for food. Live for drink. Live for sex. Without restraint. Uh, without uh, any moral boundaries because tomorrow we die and then there's nothing. YOLO, you only live once. There's no real purpose in your life. You just have to make it up for yourself. There's no right or wrong. Be selfish. Live for maximum pleasure. Pursue sin. Do whatever it takes to experience luxury and sensuality. Write down your bucket list. And spend every penny selfishly on yourself to make sure you fulfill all your little desires. Why would you ever put your life on the line for someone else? Why would you sacrifice yourself in any way if this is all that there is? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. 
that's the society we live in, isn't it? What's the major health concern of the moment? It's obesity. One in 11 deaths are linked to excess body fat. Within the UK, Scotland has the most alcohol-related deaths with rates double of what they were 20 years ago. Syphilis and gonorrhea rates are on the rise in the UK. And despite the wealth and the comfort and the education and the technology of our society, there is so much anxiety and despair. The number one killer of men aged between 20 and 49 is suicide. The number one killer of men between 20 and 49 is suicide. You see, empty hedonism does not satisfy the human heart. And so I want to direct you to something far more encouraging this morning. It's actually back in verse 20. If you turn over the, uh, if you look back at your Bibles, look at verse 20. Let me pull you back from the abyss. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so Paul, after illustrating the practical consequences to the idea that the dead are not raised from the actions of some in Corinth and from his own actions in verses 30 to 32, he then calls them to action uh, from the certainty of this fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. Look back at verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Do you see there are are very real connections between what you believe and how you behave. And we're surrounded by a culture that denies the resurrection. We need as Christians to heed this warning. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. If we absorb the values of a hopeless, hedonistic culture then we will be corrupted by it. We will act and live just like everybody else who are terrified of death and so live self-focused lives. So let me ask you this morning, my Christian friends, how much of our time and our money and our effort is basically wrapped up with our own interests and concerns? And how much is it shaped by the concerns of Christ Jesus our Lord, knowing that there is a resurrection day coming for all? Do not be misled. Verse 34, literally, in the original, is sober up. It's as if some people were uh, really going for the eat, drink, and be merry, and they need to be woken up out of their drunken stupor, pursuing this agenda. He says, come back to your senses. Sober up, wake up, smell the coffee. Hello. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That first Easter Sunday. He is the first fruits of a coming day when the dead will be raised to stand before the Creator God and give an account for their life and the gifts that He's given them. Thirdly, stop sinning, He says. There is a holy God. There are absolutes of what is good and what is evil. We are moral agents who will be judged by our actions and our choices. 
don't live as an agnostic is the word in the original language. Don't live as an agnostic. God has made himself known by sending Jesus. Have you read one of the gospel accounts? There's four of them. Um, If you've never done it, uh, ask us. We'll give you a modern translation of it. Very happy to give that to you. If you want, very happy to sit down and read it with you so you can ask us questions as we look at it together. Don't live as someone who is ignorant of God. I want to tell you today, you can know forgiveness of your sins. You can know friendship with God if you simply confess your sins to God, repent, turn away from them, put your trust in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. You can do that today. You can talk to him today. If you don't know how to do that, just ask me. Ask someone you know is a Christian. This is real. And my friends, can I just say this who are Christians? Christ was raised from the dead. So let's think about that implication for us. There, that means that we can live for something greater than our own comfort and pleasure. The Lord Jesus calls us to a radical life of courageous self-sacrifice so that others can hear the gospel. True hedonism is to live for eternal pleasures. And the best is yet to come. And so I don't need to grab every experience that this world can offer right now because thinking, well, this is all there is. No! What is to come is so much better, so much greater. The greatest joys of life, as, as people discover, are actually always found in relationships. And what rich joy there is when we love people enough to share the news that will save them and then have the joy of seeing them trust Christ and know that their lives are changed for all eternity. See, when Paul wanted to assure the Corinthians he was not being melodramatic, when he said in verse 31, I die every day, he backs it up with this oath. He says this, I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. That church of people who trusted Jesus as Lord came about because Paul had courageously shared the good news in Corinth. Dying every day, endangering himself every hour, fighting wild beasts. Do you know what? It was totally worth it. He just had to think about the people in that church who were now trusting Jesus, and it just made him rejoice. He gloried in what Christ had done, and he was amazed that Christ had used him. It was worth it. Do you know what? We've, we've got a new building down the street. We're going to be going down to it soon. There's going to be lots of opportunities together to invite friends. We've talked about how we want to engage in church planting. Uh, We've talked about the summer missions trip this summer. There are so many ways that you and I can engage in this mission with Jesus. Are you on board? Are you part of it? Are you investing your life and your energy and your money in the cause of this resurrected Christ? Are you frightened? Is that, is, that, is that what may hold you back from any difficult choices? Christ's resurrection tells us we do not need to fear anything, not even death. 
We don't need to fear putting our lives on the line for the sake of others hearing the gospel. For we too will be raised. Let's not waste our lives. Let's live lives so that other people's lives can be changed for all eternity as we give ourselves to the work of the Lord. Paul finishes the chapter in this way. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.